Welcome to Branches Church Sermon Podcast Channel. If you're in Metro Atlanta, we would love for you to join us one Sunday for worship. If you would like more information on upcoming events, service times, or to get in touch, please visit our website, branches.faith. Here's the message from this past Sunday. God bless. And we proudly support Christmas for Christ. And just to kind of give some clarity on what Christmas for Christ does, there's a certain season in every uh, starting church where the the pastor of the starting family sometimes is paying both their bills and the bills of the church to get going. And so it goes to help in that gap season and bless their families. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be part of blessing the kingdom of God and people who are working in the kingdom of God. So I want to invite you to join me, join our family in giving your best gift to Christmas, to Christmas for Christ, give your best gift to Jesus this Christmas, and just pray about what is it that you can do uh, that would help his kingdom during this Christmas. And let's make Christmas about him. And that offering will take place on December 20th. Uh, That will be also our Branches Church Christmas service. You'll you don't want to miss that. You want to be a part of that, uh, and we're going to have a great, great time. Well, if you'll join me, we're going to go to the book of Luke. We're going to go to chapter two, um, and we're going to be looking at the story of Anna today. We're in the middle of our series, the stories of Christmas. We're not talking about uh, Elf or. Um, Santa Claus or the reindeer or anything like that. We're talking about the true story of Christmas, and we're talking about different people and their experience in the story of Christmas. And you know, convincing someone to change their mind or convincing someone uh, to agree with you, just convincing someone who's against being convinced can be a challenge. Life Uh, has a way, as you know, of making us skeptical, each in our own way. There are too many things that just happen along the way that have turned out to be either not true or they just didn't pan out or uh, they let us down in some way. So all of us become skeptics in varying degrees. We become skeptics in varying degrees. Now, I can be very skeptical. And um, some of that may have to do with my dad. (laughs) When I was growing up, I learned that when my dad was in a playful mood and used the words, well, you know, anything he said after that could really be suspect because he might be pulling your leg. I can remember over the years, and he's even done it to my children, he'll say, well, you know, When I was in the CIA, he was never in the CIA. (laughs) He'll say, well, you know why they did that. And the truth is, he does not know why they did that. But on some very rare occasions, he would say it, and then he'd be telling the truth. And you would go and find out that he was telling you the truth. But it was hard to be convinced that he's not pulling my leg. 
And I have a lot of stories throughout the years of things. And uh, I enjoy doing the same thing to my kids. And I look forward to doing it to my grandkids just a little bit. Even though you may sit here today a bit skeptical in many ways, you can be convinced. And probably you're convinced of some things. I want to talk about one person in Scripture who became convinced, Anna. And her story is found in Luke chapter 2. Experience convinces us. Experience convinces us. The rich man of Luke 16 was not convinced that his love for money and self-indulgence while ignoring the suffering of people around him would bring judgment on his life, but eventually his personal experience convinced him. It happened in Luke 16, 24 through 25. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. Now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Lazarus was a beggar in the street. He was ignored largely by the rich man. But now the rich man's experience had told him what that would bring in his life. But what if he could convince others what if he could convince others not to go down the same path? Luke 16, 27 through 31, he said to Abraham, Father Abraham, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have four brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Think about that statement for just a moment. In the rich man's mind, they could be convinced, like he was convinced by experience. But what Abraham was saying that, no, even if they see one rise from the dead, they're not going to believe. They haven't believed up until this point. They're going to have to get all the way to the place of experience before they believe. He felt, the rich man felt, that only someone with a similar experience or someone who could verify the experience could convince his brothers. But Abraham was saying, no, they won't be convinced if they can't hear the testimony that's already being put in front of them. They won't be convinced. What do you think those before you would try to convince you to do or change in your life? And a more important question would be, what does it take to convince you? If I could just see a miracle. Well, you know, Satan, he will deceive with phony miracles. 
like the priests of Egypt who could duplicate the signs of God before the people. Satan can and will use phony miracles to convince people. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 9. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Miracles are a poor basis on which to be convinced. Miracles are a poor basis to be convinced on about the power of God. In the story of the birth of the Messiah, there are people who became convinced. We have the story of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, all convinced about the Messiah. Each were totally and absolutely convinced. There was no doubt in their mind. They each received a message from God's messengers. Zacharias that I preached about two weeks ago wanted an additional sign. It wasn't enough that he had a visitation from the angel Gabriel. That wasn't convincing enough. He needed a sign. What will you show me? Something that gets overlooked in our reading of the birth of Jesus is that there were some who were convinced without Gabriel. They were convinced before. Malachi spoke of them as he wrapped up the Old Testament. Malachi 3, 16 through 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Through 400 years of silence from the heavens, God still had a remnant. There was still a people that were focused on what God was going to do. They talked about the coming Messiah. They talked about the redemption of Israel. They talked about salvation. They talked about what God was going to do. Those people looking for that redemption, waiting on the coming Messiah, looking for that great day. They were called temple adherents. And in modern terminology, we may would refer to them as groupies or families fanboys and fangirls, but they were fans. They showed up to the temple and they talked about the things of God. They talked about what God had done in the past, but they also talked about what God was going to do in the future. They talked about the coming Messiah and his salvation and the redemption of Israel, the promises of God that were going to be fulfilled. They just hung around the temple. Luke, in his book, refers to them as those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. God always has a remnant. Think about that. Through 400 years, those people waited. And you may experience some silence in your life from God. But that doesn't mean God is not at work, and it doesn't mean that God's not going to fulfill his promise. God will do exactly what he said he will do. I've had people ask me, well, you know, they wrote 2,000 years ago that he'd return. He's still not returned. Believe me, he will return. And if I can't convince you, you may see it with your own eyes, and you may experience it yourself. But it will be a terrible experience. But these people... 
these people who waited for the redemption of Israel, they seemed to fit together. They held common interests and desires, and chief among them was their desire to see the Messiah. I think of it probably being similar to someone who's very dedicated to end-time prophecy. When you get around them, it's, it's what they want to talk about. They say things like, this, this guy here could be the Antichrist. This person over here, we, we don't know. They may play a role in end-time events. Or they look at the day's news lines and they say, what happened in these end-time events? Or what happened in the events may indicate the renewing of the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. They know, or they think they know, what everything is all about. They have a passion for the subject. They are convinced. And I believe you should read and know and be aware of what's going on in the world. I, I think you should be aware of those things. But all of us probably know someone like that. They're just, they're, they're looking at everything. They're expectant. They're waiting. I think it was the same with this particular group, the coming of the Messiah. It was part of their constant conversation. They were always talking about, could, could this, this baby over here, you know, it, it comes close to fitting the profile. Could this be the one? And, and probably for years they had seen possibilities, but it wasn't the one. Every once in a while I'll see somebody post about a red heifer that was born. And maybe this is going to be the one. This was a way of life for them. They were waiting on the Messiah. Simeon and Anna were two such people. They had many conversations about the various promises of the Old Testament. They were not strangers to each other. They held in common a desire for the coming of the Messiah. They would see one another at the temple. They probably spoke with one another. They just knew that when the Messiah came, this was going to change things in their nation. They could have conversations saying, what, what a change would come whenever the Messiah gets here and the nation realizes redemption is at hand. The coming kingdom of the Lord is at hand. How often they talked about it, how often they wondered of it, and they imagined it in their minds. I think we should be like that a little bit with heaven. Thinking about what heaven will be like. Looking forward to the day. I can't wait to be in heaven. I know you can't wait to experience heaven. They talked about the coming Messiah. They wondered about the coming Messiah. They imagined what would happen when the Messiah came. And it all culminated in one day. It was the day Jesus' parents brought him to the temple. They were bringing him to present him to the Lord like the law had said. For Simeon, it was a day the Lord had promised him his entire life. But it also seemed like a day that was like any other day. He had went to the temple, and he was prepared to do what he normally had done. But verse 25 tells us in Luke chapter 2, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named was Simeon, 
This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the redemption. He was waiting for the promise. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he, became by, he, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Mary and Joseph bring this 40-day-old baby. They're bringing in to present to the Lord to fulfill the requirements of the law for purification because he was the firstborn, and the law stated the firstborn is the Lord's. It's, and I, it's the concept and principle of putting God first in all things, giving him the first, the first sacrifice, the first fruit, giving him the first. The first is the Lord. So they bring the most affordable possible offering, two turtle doves and two pigeons. And Simeon comes to them, and prompted by the Spirit, he realizes just who this baby is. He realizes that he is in the presence of the promise. He realizes he is in the presence of the Messiah. This baby that looks like any other baby, this is the one. And as he speaks, and as revelation comes on him, and he speaks a blessing on them, over off in the corner, imagine her, imagine her standing to the side. There's Anna, and she hears as Simeon blesses the child. Behold, this child is destined, verse 34. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many of Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. This child, Anna, knew. Instantly, she knew. Instantly, she recognized something was happening. Something was moving. The Spirit of God was moving on Simeon, and she knew there was no debate. There was no discussion. This is what she'd been waiting and looking for. This is what she had wanted for so long. Redemption had come to Israel. This widow woman, 84 years old, verse 37, tells us she was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She did not leave the temple. She was fasting and praying and serving God, waiting on God to fulfill his word. If there's one thing that I think our generation could benefit from, it's developing a mentality of waiting on God. We want everything done now. We want it done so fast. We want everything to be resolved, but that's just not how God works. God has his own time. 
God looks at the big picture. He looks at things that you and I cannot see. And maybe it'll take 84 years to see your answer. But like Anna, if you'll just wait and keep serving him and keep praying and fasting and going to the tabernacle, going to the temple and worship, just serving the Lord, one day that promise will be fulfilled. One day your answer will come. One day it will happen. But you have to be convinced that he is the one with the answer. Imagine her standing off to the side and hearing that. What, what would your response be? What would you feel in your heart and in your guts and just, oh, finally? What did she do with this new knowledge? Verse 38 says, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. She immediately thanked the Lord. And then it says she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She gave thanks to the Lord. The Messiah's come. Salvation is here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing what you said you were going to do. Thank you for fulfilling your promise, God. And then she spoke to him of all who looked for redemption. Notice that she didn't hold on to it for herself. She didn't look at it like some prized knowledge that she had, that she was an insider. She started saying, hey, if you'll listen to me, if you've been looking for an answer, if you've been looking for the King of Kings, if you've been looking for the Messiah to come, I know who he is. I've seen him. I've heard speak of him. I know what he can do. What would make Anna come to such a decision? She knew Simeon. She trusted him. She was confident when he blessed this child. It's not some random thing. She was confident in Simeon's words. She was confident in Simeon's attitude. She was confident in Simeon's actions. And she became convinced that what Simeon knew about this baby was true for what she'd been waiting on. Think about that. Mary had an angel to convince her. We think about that. We think, well, that if I had an angel appear to me, I'd be convinced too. Joseph had a dream. He also had an angel. Well, if I had a dream and I had an angel, I'd become convinced too. The shepherds had a host of angels. Wise men had prophetic writings, and then they had a star that they saw. But Hannah had no angel, and she had no star. She had no visitation. She had no dream. She didn't have anything, but she was easily convinced. Why? Because Anna's hope was placed in God. She was waiting for the answer, the Messiah, salvation and redemption. And when it had come, and she saw Simeon, a man she knew, blessing this child, she overheard it, and she said, this is what I've been waiting on. This is what I've been looking for. You know what I wish this morning? I wish that everyone would become convinced. The person who doesn't know God and doesn't trust the Lord, I wish they'd become convinced. 
Saints of Branches Church, I wish that we'd become convinced that not only that he's the Messiah, that he's the King of Kings, that he would do exactly what he said he would do. That's what I wish we'd become convinced of. I wish everyone was like Anna and would be easily convinced. It reminds me of the story of Paul witnessing before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Paul told of what God had done and what God was doing. And Agrippa's response to him reminds me of a lot of people's response. He said in verse 28, you almost persuade me. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost persuaded. I'm almost convinced. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I wish everyone would become convinced as I am. What was Paul talking about? He was talking about his experience that convinced him that Jesus was Lord. You have to remember, Paul was a zealot. Paul was persecuting the Christian, but when God got a hold of his life, he became convinced. Paul was saying to Agrippa, I wish you had become convinced. Anna was convinced. She was easily convinced. Why? She had waited with hope in her heart that what had been promised would be fulfilled. She knew where her hope was placed. When she overheard Simeon, she knew that hope had now been fulfilled. She was convinced. Nothing more was going to be necessary for Anna. Anna had placed her hope upon the Lord. Where or in whom is your hope placed today? Is it in Jesus? If your hope is in Jesus, you don't need anything more. You may have prayers that you've been praying and they've not been answered yet. You may have a miracle that needs to happen that you desperately want to see happen and it hasn't happened yet. You may need a lot of things, but if your hope is in Jesus Christ, he is everything that you need. But you've got to put your hope in him. Why? Because the Messiah has already come. Salvation, as Anna knew, salvation had already come. Redemption was present in that baby right there that Simeon held. But it's not enough, enough just to be convinced. We have to respond. We have to respond like Anna. Anna gave thanks to the Lord. And then she began to share with everyone who was looking for redemption. We have to respond. Lamentations 3, 24 through 26, and I'm getting ready to end. It says this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Where is your hope today? Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Think about that, Anna. 84 years, 84 years old, she'd been waiting. 400 years of silence. Those who looked for redemption, they were waiting. They'd gather every time in the temple, praying, fasting, 
waiting. Convinced that one day the promise would come. Convinced that one day God would do exactly what he said he would do. Are you convinced today? Are you convinced that that healing you've been wanting is going to happen? Are you convinced that the miracle you've been asking for that man can't give you, that only God can do, that it's going to come? Are you convinced that the Lord will see you through your trial? If you're convinced today, I would that we would take a moment, give thanks for the hope that you have in him. The hope of salvation has come. The hope of redemption is here. The Messiah one who came to save his people from their sins. He's here. Let's give thanks to him and let's share him with the world. And if you don't know him today, I want to invite you to pray. Pray right there in your home, right where you're at. The Lord will hear you. No one else has to be around. The Lord will hear you. And if you pray with an open heart, earnestly seeking, he will respond. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. I wish that someone would get convinced and start seeking the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you see every person that's joining today. You see the challenges they face. You see the trials, the suffering, the things that they're fighting against. God, the oppression and the weights that carry in their life. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you administer right where they're at, minister to them. God, to that hungry, thirsty soul that is crying out, they need something from you. They need a touch, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that they would feel your sweet presence right now. In Jesus' name, fill that room where they're sitting. God, that person is praying that desperate prayer. God, I pray that you'd give them an answer. And Lord, if you're not giving them an answer right now, the time is not right. Lord, I pray that you would let your presence be a witness to them, that they can keep praying and keep asking, that you haven't abandoned them, that you're with them, that hope is in them and hope is with them. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Take a moment and pray and seek the Lord right now. If you enjoyed today's sermon or have questions and would like to connect with Pastor Lane, you can find us on our website, branches.faith. Thanks for listening.